In these uh, last few sermons in First Peter, they are very closely connected. And so I, I want to go back and remind us again of the context for what Eric just read to us. This context is really important. After this long teaching on suffering in the church, Peter summarizes that God's work of judgment on the earth begins not with the lost, but with His people. And he makes this statement, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. It's a little opposite than what we sometimes think. We tend to think God, God's going to go after all the lost people and judge them and, and, and we're in our, we're in our bubble. But the Bible says he is first as he brings judgment. He is first concerned about his church, his people. And being mindful of God's concern for the purity and the faith of his church and how he refines his people. He doesn't judge us the way he does those who are not in Christ. The judgment that He gives to us is a refinement. It is a discipline to purify and help our faith. And as he addresses that, Peter starts with the character, the conduct, and the responsibilities of the leaders of the church and how members should respond to those leaders, which is what we dealt with last week. And so within that exhortation to the entire assembly, regardless of their gifting or their age or their role, Peter says, have humility toward God and toward one another. That is the general admonition for the entire church. And he gives us this warning and this promise. A Greek translation of Proverbs 3.34. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so therefore Peter's conclusion is, humble yourselves. Church, understand, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So respond to that by humbling yourself. And that's what we're looking at today in verse 6 and 7, which are short, but they are filled with critical instructions for our conduct as Christ followers. Critical instructions for our life before God and our life as a community. But before we get there to verse 6 and 7, I want to dive a little deeper into the general admonition that he gives us in the second half of verse 5. I want to dive deeper into that, and I want to do that by asking three questions of that verse, the second half of verse 5. So if you have an outline, if you grab the handout from the back table and you're a note taker, we'll begin to fill in that outline. Question number one that I want to ask of that text What does it mean that God opposes the proud? What does it mean that God opposes the proud? This is certainly a warning. In Acts 18, you find this same word, opposes. And in Acts 18, it was the Jews and the Greeks who were opposing Paul as he tried to reason with them from the Bible. And so what it means there is that as as Paul was trying to teach and reason with the Jews and the Greeks, that they were resistant to him. He was met with their resistance. They didn't approve of what he was saying. They stood in his way. Some of them even left. And so what does it mean that God opposes the proud? It means that God meets what the proud are striving to accomplish with His own resistance. He resists what they are doing. 
It means at times, God may intervene and disrupt their very work to keep them from accomplishing what they're trying to accomplish. At other times, it may simply mean that God refuses to be involved in their affairs. If you demand your own way, God may say to you, you're on your own. Because He opposes the proud. The prideful are those who trust in themselves. They desire their own rights. They seek after what's fair to them. They place themselves at the center of every situation. In every conflict, in every trouble, in every moment, they put themselves and their rights at the center of it. And there's no reason for us to think that Peter in this address, is only speaking to lost people. Now certainly, that is true of them. If you don't know Christ, and two calls have been made this morning to follow Jesus, if you do not yet follow Him. Jeremiah 17.5 says that if you are a person who trusts in yourself rather than God, and your strength is your flesh, then you are living a cursed life. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. God opposes the proud. Those who have never come to faith in Jesus, He opposes them ultimately in judgment. There's nothing to look forward to except the judgment of God. And so the call today is come to Christ. Receive forgiveness. Receive the Spirit of God that can help you become a humble person that will receive God's promises. But we can't look at this command or this admonition that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble and just assume that Peter is addressing lost people because this whole letter is written to the church. And while Peter may have assumed that there would be some who don't know Christ who would read this letter, the reality is he is warning us. We are all, every one of us, The youngest in here and the oldest in here, we are by nature self-oriented. No one has to tell us, be worried about yourself. No one has to tell us, want what's best for you. We naturally desire that. The question becomes whether or not as a Christian we will submit to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, which wants to take us, Who wants to take us from being a self-oriented person to being a Christ-oriented person? And by nature, an others-oriented person. What does God's opposition look like for a prideful Christian? If we're a person, if we're a believer who's continually giving in to pride, what does God's opposition look like for us? It's not that He removes salvation from us. We believe that if we are secure in Jesus, we're always secure in Jesus. It is not a condemning judgment. I believe that the opposition God gives to His children who are prideful is an opposition of discipline. He disciplines us. He refines us. This could be at times in our lives where He simply gives us the gentle correction of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us. 
in our hearts or through other people. And He's gentle with us to, to remind us, you're being prideful right now. You are not thinking about Jesus right now. You're not thinking about other people right now. But there may also be times in our lives where God opposes our pridefulness with an affliction, with a trial, in order to get our attention, to draw us closer to Himself, and to bring those impurities out of us. It may be that we find at times the opposition of God is that our prayers are hindered. Or even that the Holy Spirit in us is grieved and His influence is lessened on us. In James chapter 4, where James also presents this same quotation from Proverbs, God opposes the proud, James tells the church in that section where he gives this warning, he tells the church that their prideful passions are creating all types of conflict all types of disunity, all types of fighting among the church. And he tells them that that pridefulness has worked its way even into the motivation of their heart so that when they pray, their prayers are not being answered because they're praying for the wrong reasons. They're asking their request of God, but they're asking them for the wrong reasons, and God is not listening. God is not answering. God is not responding. And so Peter is warning us, writing to a church that is encircled by opposition from the world, that is dealing with the persecution of the world, and he is writing that church and saying, don't invite upon yourself the discipline of God as well as the opposition of the world. Rather, turn from your prideful hearts because God opposes, He resists the proud even among His people. He will resist you in your pride because He loves you. Because where there is pride, there is destruction. Where there is pride... Sin runs amok. And He will oppose you in your pride for your own good. Question number two. Why does God give grace to the humble? This is the promise in Peter's quotation. God opposes the proud. That's the warning. But He gives grace to the humble. This this is a promise. Do you want the abundant grace of God? The answer should be yes. Humility is the pathway to grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. He bestows His favor upon those who humble themselves. The sense of the language is God continually gives grace to the humble. It's not a one-time grace. It is continual. The more you mature in humility, the more grace abounds in your life. My answer to this question, why does God give grace to the humble? My answer to that question is because God delights in those who trust in Him. Why does God give grace to the humble? Because God delights in those who trust in Him. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, 
a passage that many of you may be familiar with. We are told that we have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. That the treasure of the knowledge of God is in us. But we are jars of clay. And Paul says to the church in Corinth that God has designed it that way. That when you become a Christian, He doesn't automatically conform your external life in perfection. That will come one day. Resurrected bodies, we will live in perfection before Christ. But on the earth, That doesn't happen. We still struggle. We still wrestle because we're still jars of clay. Why has he done this? And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay in order to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God wants to display his power through your weakness. Now, the response to that is not to sin more or to not address your sin. But the response to that is to realize that God is not looking for those who will stand up and say, watch me, God, I'm going to do great things for you. Watch me, God, I am going to bless people for you. I am going to be a mighty man or woman of God for you. He's not looking for that. You will stumble and fall if that is the attitude of your life. God is looking for people who know they're nothing. God is looking for people who know they are weak, they are empty, they are fragile, who cry out, God, I have nothing to offer. I cling to you. But if you will fill me with your presence, the only constraint in my life will be your will. Those are the ones who have the grace of God most strongly in their life. The treasure in the jars of clay. Grace is also strength. We're going to see in a moment that humility is a much harder way to live. It's easy to live prideful. Humility is much harder. It's going to require you to put aside your rights, to put aside your concern for yourself and wait on the Lord, even wait on others. Grace is power. Grace is the power you need to endure and to be strong and to wait on the Lord. The third question, how do we clothe ourselves with humility? How do we do that? How do we clothe ourselves with humility? We're giving a warning. God opposes the proud. We're giving a promise. He gives abundant grace to the humble. So how do we, how do we do this? How do we clothe ourselves with humility? I love the language that Peter uses. He doesn't just say be humble. He says clothe yourself. Think of that. Put on humility like clothes, like a garment. Fasten it on yourself. Wrap yourself in humility. He is saying this should be your lifestyle. This is the defining way in which you should live with one another in the church. All of you, young, old, elders, members, wrap yourself in humility toward one another. If you have a Bible, go over briefly to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible this morning, let me remind you that we would love to gift you one. We have Bibles that we would 
that we give out for those who don't have them. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love to give you a copy of God's Word. But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul gives these instructions to the church in Philippi. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. According to Paul, right before the passage that I just read, he is talking about his desire to see oneness in the church, unity in marriages, peace in friendships. And he says, here's the key to that. Here's the key to peace in your relationships. Here's the key to unity in your marriages. Here's the key to oneness in your churches. Adopt the same attitude of life that Jesus had. Clothe yourselves in humility. How? By not living to just look after your own interest or the interest of your family. You will naturally do that. But don't live just like that, just where you look after your own interest and the interest of your family, but rather take the same care that you naturally have for yourselves and apply it to the interest of others. Even, he says, consider their deal, their rights, their interests more important than your own. That if you come to a moment where you have to choose what is Good for me or good for this person. Choose what is good for the other person. Apply that to your spouse. Apply that to your friends. Apply that to your church. Lay down what you had planned so that you can expend your energy and your resources serving other people. That is how we clothe ourselves with humility. And there is nothing in our flesh that wants to do that. Nothing. Nothing in our flesh wants to interrupt our plans on an off day to go help someone else who has a need. Nothing in our flesh wants to give away our resources, our hard-earned money to someone else who has a need. Nothing in us wants to do that. Except the Spirit of Christ. So with those questions in mind, let us look at Verses 6 and 7. And this encouragement that Peter gives. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. This is his summary. Since God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, therefore, humble yourselves, church. Receive the abundant grace of God. In your outline, I have this life truth for us today. God will lift you up at the exact right time if your life is driven by a heart that trust Him explicitly. And how do you know if you trust Him explicitly? That trust will be displayed through a joyful, peaceful waiting 
on God and accompanied by a dedication to serve others. Peter's conclusion is, since God opposes the proud but gives grace to those who make humility a lifestyle, we should humble ourselves. And while that is a much harder life, his promise is that it is a pathway to reward. He tells us, humble yourselves so that at the proper time God may exalt you. He puts that before us. You want to be exalted. You want to be lifted up. Here's how you get there. Humble yourself. And God will do it when He's ready. In what way does Peter have in mind that you and I should humble ourselves? I think he is calling us to humble ourselves in regards to all of our anxieties in verse 7. The way you can read that is, humble yourselves by casting all your anxieties on Him. So the way He is calling us to humble ourselves is in regards to all of the anxieties that we have in life. It's important for us to note here that that word anxieties is translated in different ways throughout the New Testament. In other places in the Bible, it is translated burdens. Cast your burdens on the Lord. In Luke, it is translated the cares of your life. Humble yourself by casting the cares of your life on God. So anxieties, burdens, the cares of your life. It could be your hopes. It could be the great desires or the dreams that you have. It could be a conflict. It could be a concern. It could be a trouble. It might even be sin. And so Peter is saying, if you will humble yourself before God in terms of all of your anxious interest, what are right now in your life the interest that you're anxious over? The burdens that you're anxious over. The cares of your life that you're anxious over. Those are the areas that he's saying, humble yourself. And if you will humble yourself in terms of those anxious interests at the exact right time, God will lift you up. And because those anxious interests are going to change throughout your life, I think the promise is this is going to be an ongoing process throughout your life. You will always have things that you're interested in. Hopes, dreams, cares, problems, conflicts that you're anxious over. So you should always be casting them before the Lord. Humbling yourself. He doesn't say when God will exalt you. Exactly. He doesn't say exactly what that ex exaltation will look like. He only promises you it will happen. I think being lifted up, being exalted, means quite amazingly that you will be made much of by God. And that is mind-blowing that God would make much of His people. I think it means that we will be satisfied by Him. My sense is that sometimes this will mean God will fulfill the dream you have. 
Sometimes He will give you that desire. He will place you in the position that you want to be in. He will resolve your conflict. He will heal your hurt. At other times, He may completely change the thing that you really believe you want. He may change your desire. Other times, He might not remove the pain, but He may raise you above it. Your reward, your lifting up, may be deeper fellowship with Him. It might be spiritual blessings. It might be that He grants you more responsibility or honor among people. The point is that whatever this exaltation is, which some of the things that He exalts us in, we might not even be exalted in, we might not even be lifted up until the day we see Jesus. But the point is, we trust Him to do it in His timing. That we trust Him that He knows what is best. Trust is displayed by waiting on God. You cannot say you trust God if you are not willing to wait on God. And it's not just a begrudging waiting. It's not just the kind of waiting where you stomp your foot and look down and let everybody know, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Been waiting on Him a while. It's a joyful waiting. It's going to be okay. It's hard. It's hard waiting. But it's going to be good when God lifts me up. It's going to be good when God resolves this. I trust Him. Waiting on God is because you believe Psalm 84.11 that says no good thing does He withhold from those who walk rightly. You can wait on God if you believe that because you can say, if it was good for me, I would have it right now. Because God withholds nothing good from those who walk uprightly before Him. The fact that I don't yet have it means it's not yet good for me. But the moment it becomes good for me, I will have it, if it really is good for me. Waiting is not apathy. Waiting is doesn't mean you don't take responsibility. Waiting means you don't push your agenda beyond God's will. Waiting means you don't try to force open doors that God closes. Waiting means you don't choose to make your own interest the center of your life. Church, how much do we miss out on when we're not willing to wait on God? What if sometimes God gives us the thing that we push so hard to get because we push past Him, but He had something so much better for us if we'd have waited on Him? How many marriages are destroyed? How many lives are upended? How many joys do we miss out on because we're not willing to wait on God? Our nature is to want our deal and to want it now. And if we don't humble ourselves, we won't wait. And we will miss out on the reward, which is being lifted up by God at just the right time. And when He exalts you, not only will you be overjoyed, but others will experience that joy. 
I didn't ask him for permission to do this because he would have said no. And I don't lift him up for himself, but I do think God gives us testimonies to share. Sam Knowles is, in the 15 years or more that I've known him, the most gifted worship leader that I, I've, I've been around. I mean gifted. In all the years I've known him, God had never opened a door for him to lead as a worship leader. And I have often pondered why that was. And I've watched Sam over the years pursue but not push, ponder but not be crushed by that. The day that God opened a door for that, the very first time that he led worship here, someone told me that they had went to Sam at the end of that day and said, don't ever lose the joy that I saw today in you as you led worship. And I would submit to you that the product of that joy wasn't just leading worship. The product of that joy was receiving what God purposed in the time that He purposed it. And the joy was not just for an individual. The joy was for everyone who is a part of that timing. And it is that true in your life with whatever you're waiting on the Lord for or whatever you need to be waiting on the Lord for right now. That it is far better for that to happen in God's timing than your own timing. You don't want it in your timing. You want it when He says you're ready. When He says the circumstances are ready. Trusting God is waiting. But trusting God is not just waiting. Trusting God is also dedicating yourself to lift other people up while you wait. Rather than just focus on your own interest or do what your flesh wants to do, which is sulk because your deal isn't coming together, you actually set your heart to make the lives of other people around you as joyful as you possibly can. You put your attention on serving others that you might lift them up. That's what we saw in Philippians 2. How do you clothe yourself with humility? Don't just look after your own interests. Don't just wait for God to lift you up. While you're waiting, constantly be living in a way that you're trying to lift other people up around you. That you're concerned about their interest. That you're trying to help them fulfill their dreams and their goals in the Lord. That you're trying to help them overcome their conflicts and their problems and their sin issues. You put your attention off of yourself and your deal and you put it onto someone else and their deal. And you live that way. How is that possible? Because it sounds really good. Hopefully. We can shake our head at it. Yes. Yes. As I'm sitting here, as I'm listening to this, as the words being unfold, this sounds good. But in a little bit, we got to leave. And we're going to want our deal. We're going to want faster service at lunch. 
We're not going to want any problems from our spouse. This afternoon, we're going to get hit by that conflict of our deal and someone else's deal. How can we possibly do this? In your notes, we do this by giving every burden to God in prayer. That's it. Humble yourself by casting all your anxieties on Him. Those interests that you're anxious over, they're always going to be coming up. Each time they do, lay them before the Lord. Peter's likely thinking of Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Casting your burdens to God is the pathway that frees you from constant concern about your own deal. God, what about me? What about my life? Take it before Him. God, don't forget this. I'm going to focus on other people the way you've told me to. I'm going to focus on the interest of others, but God, don't forget me. I'm casting this before you. Don't forget this situation, God. I need you. How can you know this will be true, though? How can you know that giving your burdens to God in prayer will result in fruitfulness? How can you possibly know that God's promises will be true? It will only be if you believe God cares for you. How can I know this will be true? By believing with all of your heart God cares for you. God, if I spend my whole life worried about someone else's deal, who's going to take care of my deal? If I am spending my whole life being concerned about the rights of others, who's going to take care of my rights? And God says, I will. He cares for you. That means you are of concern to Him. Your deal, your rights are of a concern to Him. You remember how Peter addresses Christians in this letter by calling them elect exiles. Exiles means this isn't your home. You're always going to have anxious interest. You're always going to feel like life is not fair. You're always going to feel like your rights are being trampled on. They may be. But elect reminds you that you are chosen by God for God for this time. He sees you. He knows you. You are of concern to Him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's hand is mighty? Do you dare believe He is able to care for you? Do you dare believe that He is willing to care for you? That He is compassionate toward you? That He is as concerned about your desires and your dreams and your conflicts and your troubles as you are, even more so. Like a parent is more concerned for their child than even they are concerned for themselves. Will you believe that? Will you hold on to that? Because it is only if you truly believe God cares for you that you will ever humble yourself. It is only if you really believe in your heart that God has concern for you that you will ever cast your burdens to Him. It is only if you really believe in your heart that God cares for you that you will wait on Him. If you don't believe God cares for you, you will never break free from self-orientation. Because if you don't believe someone's looking out for your interests, then you'll look out for your own with all your heart. So give them to God. 
I want to make a gospel plea to you this morning. In your outline. One way that we obey the command of Christ to love each other is by bearing each other's burdens. So here's my gospel plea. Here's the plea I'm making to you based on God's Word. Take on a personal ministry that involves distributing Scripture and intercessory prayer for people who are in distress. I'm asking you to make it your own personal ministry, no matter what your giftings or your calling. Make it your own personal ministry to give out the promises and the Word of God to those around you who need it. To make it your own personal ministry to go to battle in prayer for the burdens of people around you, being an intercessor for them. This is where all of us can begin to lift up and carry each other's burdens that we talked about in the prayer focus today. Sometimes we're going to be able to help people and lift them up through practical means. I don't believe I will ever forget, I hope I never do, the year that we were working to adopt Jack and we were so busy and I was working and we were doing ministry and we were fundraising and I will never forget, I hope I I never forget, our neighbor who we lived next to at the time who was a believer who came over one day and said, "I, I don't... I know you're fundraising. I know you're trying to to bring your son home and and I don't have a lot to offer except I know how busy you are. I don't want you to worry about your yard this year. I will take care of all your yard care this year. And that guy for the next five months did all my yard work. Cut my grass, took care of the whole thing for me. He carried a burden that he had the means to do. Very practical. But many times the burdens will be spiritual. It'll be things that we're going through that we can't do anything about. They're a nature that we can't resolve them. But what we can do is learn how to be available to one another. The gift that we were given in the COVID pandemic is to be reminded that church is not simply a building We're thankful for our building. We're thankful to be able to gather. We should gather. In a pandemic, it's dangerous to gather physically. But can I tell you in life, it is dangerous to not gather spiritually. We should do this as much as we can. But we don't start being the church when we get here and quit being the church when we leave. We're a community. We should have concern and be available for one another throughout the week to listen to one another, to share Scripture for one another. We should get up in the morning and dive into God's Word for ourselves, but also so we have something to hand out to other people. And we're only going to be able to hand it out to them if we engage with people. If we make phone calls and text messages and reach out. And and you might say, well, no one's reaching out to me. Put their interest above your own. Trust God with your deal. Intercede for them in prayer. I want to offer you a way that you can do this 
in an organized way. I want us to all do it in a very supernatural, organic way. This week, if God places someone in your heart, text them, call them. I have a list of every person in the church. If you want it, I'll give it to you so you can keep it before you and look at all the names. All the families. But I also want to offer you a way you can do it in an organized way. In your handout, there are instructions on how to download our church app if you haven't done that yet. If you have a mobile phone, like a smartphone, then you can download this app. It's our church center app. And when you download the app, there's an icon at the bottom that says groups. Go to groups. And under groups, go to the section that's called building community. And there you can ask to be a part of the intercessory prayer team of our church. And anyone who wants to be a part of that team can be. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Number one, if you have a burden in this church that needs to be lifted up, make make us aware of that. Prayer at agapepinson.com. That's the address, right? You send that, the prayer team will get it. And then we, a prayer team leader will get it. And then we'll give it to the prayer team. And anyone here who joins that prayer team, you will get burdens from the church, from people in the church that are giving you the burdens throughout the week. And you will have the opportunity to lift those up in an, in a way of intercession. This week, the prayer team was praying for someone in our church who had a loved one in the hospital. Last night, they sent a praise report for what God had done. This week in the healing of their family member. And in that praise report they said, Thank you so much for praying. I have felt loved and encouraged and supported throughout this entire roller coaster week. That's what we do as intercessors. I want to invite you to be a part of that. And if you still have a flip phone or something and you can't get to the app, let me know. I will make a way for you to be a part of the prayer team without the app. There's a website, Nick said. But there's there's a way to do it. The app's the easiest. I want to ask our worship team if they'll come up. I want to ask our prayer partners for today if they'll come up. As they do, we bring the lights down. Chris, we're going to get ready to worship again together. I want to give you a couple of encouragements and admonitions this morning one more time. If you have never in your heart truly followed Jesus, would today you believe upon Him as the one who will take your sins? Will you believe upon Him repenting of your sins and will you be baptized as a public declaration of your love for Jesus? I always say, I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm not asking you if you are religious. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church. I'm asking if in your heart, Jesus is the Lord of your life that you submit yourself to. If not, as has already been said, today is the day of salvation. I want to ask you this morning to come and ask for miracles. Where do you need God to move? Where do you need God to help you be able to give your interests to Him, to lay your burdens at His feet, to humble yourself? 
Where are you carrying a burden for someone else? What miracle do you need this morning based on God's Word? There are people here who will pray for you if you will come and ask them to. For us as a church, would you continue to grow in what the Bible says is working out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Don't linger where you are. You are growing or you're fading. There's no neutral. Grow in working out your own salvation. Do so knowing that it is God who works in you, both to will and to act for His good pleasure. Father, this morning, help us to respond to Your Word. Help us to respond in truth today. Where we need miracles, God, will You work them? where we need to give our interests before You and humble ourselves, will You help us? Where we need to pick up prayer and burdens for other people, will You give us the heart to make ourselves available? God, if there is anyone here on this replay or in this room who doesn't know Jesus, would You let today be the day of their salvation? Would You cause them to speak to someone before they leave here today about what You are calling out to them to do? God, would You help us to grow? Grow in our faith. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Thank You, God, for working in us to give us good desires and the power to obey.